On behalf of my guests and I, we begin this episode by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and create today. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and we extend this respect to any First Nations, Torres Strait Islander, and Maori peoples listening. When I was 17, 18 years old, I was earning 22, I think, 22. Oh, sorry, darling. Oh, oh, gosh. Here I go. I know, I know. Well, I got my period today as well. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm pregnant, so I'll just yeah, cry no matter what. Um, <laughs> you know what just hits for me? It just hits so hard. Yeah, I, it's, it's so mm. hard. I know... I, I look back on my 18-year-old self and I was – or 19-year-old self and I had just gotten my first job at Cosmo. I think I was paid $360 a week. So my salary was less than 20000 a year and I'm um, pretty sure they, <laughs> they didn't even put me on payroll so I still had to pay tax on that. Um, and I was living in <laughs> – I was living in my – grandmother's social housing one-bedroom flat and I survived off 295 KFC meals and that's all I could afford in my that's literally all I could afford I could afford my weekly train ticket to go to work and I would come home and I would eat that (laughs) that awful (laughs) oily chicken um, because it was the only thing I could afford and the motivation that I had at that time to get out of that situation, I knew was money. Dearest you, it's safe to say that you might need a tissue around the halfway mark for this one. Eleanor Pendleton, Sarah Crampton and Beck Wadworth are three of Australia and New Zealand's most successful women's lifestyle influencers. But they're also three women I am grateful to call my friends. This episode is part of a brand new series called Checking In With, where I touch base with some of Offline's earliest guests to hear how they're doing today, what they've moved through since we last spoke, and of course, how their definition of success has evolved in and around the rich texture of their life experiences. It's been years between Honest Conversations and, like so many of you, the four of us have moved through a lot. Sustaining businesses during a global pandemic, pregnancy and sadly also pregnancy loss, birth, the first months and years of motherhood, terminally ill parents, the death of someone we love, And of course, the grief that follows, all while doing our best to show up for our teams, our communities, and our businesses' missions. I think I speak on behalf of many people when I say the fullness of our lives is an example of our privilege, but it also causes us to examine if we are oversubscribed to those more traditional ideals of success. I know for me, There is no juggle here, it's just one foot in front of the other. And I acknowledge that we can have it all, but it isn't wholly relevant for us to have it all at the same time, as much as sometimes it definitely feels like it's happening all at the same time. 
the girls and I put it all on the table and we hope that in doing that, we provide you with a really rich entry point to feeling more seen and more heard within your own life experiences. I hope you adore this episode. Here's Elle, Sarah, Beck and I for Offline. And take a drink first. Can we just acknowledge the size of my water bottle? Oh, God, mine's it's very that. big. <laughs> That's very big. That's bigger than your head. <laughs> it's two liters. Oh my! God. It's like literally the bottle. size of my kettle. It's so heavy. But what? And you're trying to drink that all in one day? I would be on the toilet. I just wouldn't leave the toilet. <laughs> well, right, yeah, you'd be leaving the toilet anyway. <laughs> Um, but what was happening is I had a one liter. This is not the most interesting start to the conversation. I had a one liter and I get really busy at my desk and I'm just an idiot where I don't go and fill it up. Mm. I'm thirsty and I keep reaching for it. It's no water in there, but off I go with the work. Mm. And so I thought if I just get the two liter, fill it up. So it's there for the whole day. And I made it, um, I got through it by four o'clock yesterday. Mm. Oh, nice. oh. So good. And I did no wheeze in the night because I'd finished my water by four. <laughs> yeah. Key. Yeah, but it's just yeah. huge. Like you can't take it anywhere. It's just desk bound. <laughs> so that's the hydration out of the way. <laughs> um, let's start. If each of you could just share, I want to say how are my girls, <laughs> their babies and their bumps. <laughs> Elle, how are you? I am good now. <laughs> I am currently 27 weeks pregnant and had a really rough first four or five months. I had severe morning sickness and was vomiting a few times a day, every day, um, for the first year, four to five months. So I've really only just come good in the last fortnight. Um, and the nausea has stopped and the vomiting has stopped and I feel like I'm no longer so much a shell of a human being. But I am feeling very excited to have a baby um, in about three months' time. <gasps> and, Beck, how are you? You're kind of on the other side of... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm good too. I feel like I've just come out of that first 12 weeks of motherhood. So, um, Isabella is three and a half months. Um, so I feel like just even in the last couple of weeks, you know, where she's on a really good routine and, um, I've kind of got a bit more structure back in my life. Um, but yeah, no, I'm loving it. I've, I've, yeah, feel really comfortable with it and I'm just loving the new challenge. <laughs> and what a challenge it is. <laughs> You're doing so well. And um Thanks, yeah. you with the two the two babies in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of a surprise for me. Um so obviously like okay, Willie's about to turn three and then like around when he was two, I was starting to feel like, oh yeah, we're ready to go again and and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm gonna make the decision to have another baby, which is such a huge decision and choice that we're fortunate to make. And then you find that you're pregnant, so exciting, but also so overwhelming as well. And then you go for that scan and they tell you there's two. 
I noticed And then that. you message your friends in the yeah. car with the photo <laughs> of the scan and your friends write back several expletives yeah. <laughs> because they're in shock. It was so funny. So funny. And just telling people I find hilarious. This is so funny. So amazing. Um, but it took me it took me a good couple of weeks to get my head around it, to be honest. I think that's the thing because falling pregnant feels like one miracle. Yeah, it is, yeah. Holding the pregnancy feels like another miracle. Mm -hmm. And then you get to that scan and then I just can't even imagine the moment of like, we're just like, we just want one baby, just one baby. (laughs) Please, 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 God, give me one baby. And then you're like, oh, my God, two babies. (laughs) And And I can only imagine where your head starts to go of like, just logistically. Yeah. You know, I said to you, I was yeah. like, oh my God, so two snoots? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you get two snoots? Is this what this is? Yeah. A double pram? Yeah. A double Luckily, pram. I had the double pram already, kind of like, at a, anyway, logistics. But um, yeah, we went straight to work, to be honest. And that's kind of, I was just like, oh God. You were in and shock. Shock. Yeah. And then also, um, just that first six months, I remember with Willie being so overwhelming, I was just like, oh, my goodness, how will I actually survive this? But then, but now I'm feeling great. So it just takes that moment to, like, get your head around it, know that you're going to actually be okay and know that it doesn't last. Um, but it did take a couple of weeks for me to be, like, like super excited and not mm-hmm. go straight to the panic. That's so understandable just to like land in your new reality. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's all of this imagining and hoping and thinking and then it's like it's actually happening. You know we'll be there for you. Thanks. 100%. So I'd like to start by talking about the shape of the seasons you've each been in since we first recorded, which was 2018 and 2019. Wow. crazy. Um, we were all really deep in our work at the time that we were recorded last time, but I wondered, and I suppose I know the answer in a way, but does that feel true now? And broadly, kind of what has defined the last three years for you, Elle? I thought this might be an interesting one for you. Oh, goodness. I mean, I think most people's reaction when you stop to reflect on the last three years since the pandemic began is that we've almost, as a trauma response, compartmentalised the last three years and and put it in a box and and moved it away. There 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 were beautiful silver linings in having my first baby, my son Banjo, six weeks before the pandemic hit. It meant that when my husband's six weeks of paternity leave ended, he went to go into the office for the first day and never went in ever ever again. Um, And so he was home for Banjo's entire life throughout that, those, you know, almost three years. In saying that, when the pandemic did hit, I had a six-week-old tiny baby. I was experiencing so many breastfeeding challenges. I had battled mastitis. And all of a sudden, you know, I was forced back into my business that I own to work on business continuance plans to ensure I didn't have to lay off any of my staff 
to ensure I didn't have to cut anyone's hours or pay. And there's no one else responsible for that other than me. And it was pure survival mode. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, I know Sarah was right in the thick of it as well with the undone um, as I was. And it was pure survival. It was sleep deprivation coupled with how do I literally keep the cash flow coming in when the cash flow has paused and the revenue has stopped coming in um, in, in that moment of panic and not have to upend all of my team's lives. It was it, the, the responsibility was so extreme that there was almost no time to think about it. And I, I just, I, I think I literally just dropped everything I was doing. And when my son slept, which was a lot back then, I would work on the business. Um, it was one of the hardest things I think I have ever experienced as a as a business owner and as a new mother. You know, you're sort of navigating this new time. And the flip side of that, I think, is that what I didn't or what I certainly wasn't prepared for when I became a mother was that change in self-identity that I know so many women and and your listeners will resonate with. And, you know, you hear that saying, oh, everything changes when you become a mum. But, you know, my my son is the greatest thing in my world and, and there's no one on this earth that I love more than him. But when he was born, it, the only way I can describe it is that my soul was cracked open I was broken down to a shell of a human being who didn't know who they were and then he built me back up into the woman that I am today. And what frightened me so much about that newborn phase was the mundane of the everyday. I wasn't prepared for the monotony of eat, feed, sleep, that routine that comes with a newborn and, you know, feeding them every two hours. And I felt my mental health um, decline rapidly. And so in some ways, by having my business that I had to work on, there was no choice, I had to work on it, I had to come up with these business continuance plans, it almost saved my mental health because it was a part of me that wasn't the role of mother. And it's such a huge part of who who I am. And I, you know, am almost like Sarah, almost three years into motherhood and have arrived at this place where I can proudly say I have different cups in my life. My son feels a very large one, but he doesn't feel all of them. Parts of my career feel other cups. My husband feels another cup. My friends feel another cup. And I think I struggled so much in the first four months throughout COVID and with being a mum of being like, who am I? Can I still run this business? Um, Do I have the time to run this business when I'm feeding every two hours? And I was really scared that I couldn't because it, it makes me happy. My work makes me happy. I love being creative. I love my team. And so whilst I think a lot of people would look at my situation and say, oh, she had to go back to work only six, you know, when her son was only six weeks, in some ways it actually saved saved me. And I've arrived at this place now where I love that I am so fortunate and 
privilege but have also worked really hard to be able to do both, to both mother and to run a business that I love so much. Mm, And that's one thing like I know that the people who follow you will see a bit of it but the three of you just how hard you work like I think a lot of it is unseen and unsaid and part of the reason is because we just have to get on with it. It's not even something that we have time to kind of show or prove or anything like that. But I don't have time to post. <laughs> no, <laughs> to post. Yes. Like this is the the thing and I just so relate to what you're saying because when I had Betty at that time, it was just the podcast really, but the podcast was kind of the place where I got to sit down, put the microphone in front of my mouth and be Allison, mm, you yes. know, and I think back to the days where like I interviewed the holistic psychologist, like one of the biggest, most followed therapists on Instagram. I and love that I did that at five weeks postpartum. I remember I fed Betty here right with the microphone in front of me. And then it was seven o'clock in the morning with the time difference. And then Tony took her and she was so young and I was so still in that kind of postpartum anxiety that I wouldn't like I said, you have to have her on your chest and you have to check that she's breathing the entire time. <laughs> like I was in that world. And I just listened back to that episode and I'm just so proud of myself. I mean, the fact that I could even string a conversation sentence mm-hmm. together at mm-hmm. that point. But I just remember like the moment he took her away, I was like, mm, like mm, there's so much richness here for me, you know, to to sit back into self in, in that independent self because they really are an extension of us and it's really hard to find that separation, I think, in those early days, isn't it? Yeah. So thank you for that beautiful share. It's actually a really good segue into my next question. And Beck, I'd love to hear your response to this, you know, so um, Elman mentioned the pandemic, motherhood. We've um, also experienced sick parents, which is stuff we haven't really spoken about that publicly. Um, grief, you know, for me. And all of this while trying to sustain and grow our businesses, um, it's more than a lot. It's so much and it's required such an incredible amount of what I identify as like adaptation energy which we can talk about like the difference between adapt- ad- adapting and surviving. Mm. Um, but we, it's required so much of that energy to move through it all. So can you talk a little bit about that adaptability? Cause you're in that kind of crunchy first yeah. six mm. months of, you know, wanting to do both with presence and quality and yeah. awareness. Yeah. Have you felt really dynamic in the change or has it felt a little bit more like being dragged? And I think both, are perfect yeah actually so but what what's what's that felt like for you yeah so um I was reflecting this morning when I when I recorded with you last time I had just done the shift from Sydney life I lived there for six years moved back to New Zealand and um, I was commuting every month my life was very you know so much about travel and my team in Sydney and things and I was such a workaholic um, and then my world kind of got turned upside down. I had, um, the end of a really long-term relationship, which thank goodness I had the girls because we did FaceTime wines and it got me through and it was a really <laughs> super, super tough time, um, that period. Cause also the pandemic hit. So I was home alone having to navigate that. And I think it was the best thing that ever happened because it already made me check myself with work. That was kind of the number one thing, um, 
I realized how much I was putting into work and definitely didn't have that balance, um, which I was at a point in my life where that was something I really wanted. So I started kind of focusing on well-being and making sure I was getting outside every day for my walks and things that just really filled my cup, like Al said, but didn't just have to be work. And I think I had put work as, yeah, my success and my life really prior to that. Um, and I just thought if there's hours in the day, I can do stuff for work. I don't, you know, and that was my world. So then, um, got myself in a really good place. It was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. And, um, obviously found Isaac, who is just my person and, um, he makes me so happy. Um, and then entered, decided really fast that we were really ready for a family and entered that chapter. Um, and I felt so strong. I thought there's absolutely no way that, um, my identity is going to change. <laughs> um, and I felt so good. I said to, like, I felt like, yeah. <laughs> What was I thinking? I um, thought I'm going to be able to do it all. And I think because I've also seen, you know, out of our friend group, I'm the last one to have a baby. And so I've watched the girls transition from, you know, not being parents into motherhood. Um, I've watched them come out the other side and, um, you know, they've all, they've all done it. And I, and I thought, you know, I can do it. It's, it's going to be okay, but I'm definitely in the thick of it at the moment. Um, she's three and a half week, uh, three and a half months now. And, um, I thought I had prepped myself to be able to do both and to be able to do it all, but I just did not expect the amount of love, um, I was going to feel and how much I just want to be a mom. Like I, that is just my be all end all now. And work has definitely taken a back, a backseat. Um, but I'm obviously still having to work. I'm back full time, um, which I was back at, um, yeah, a, a wee while ago now, but I'm finding it really hard. Um, and I would definitely say I'm resentful sometimes that I'm in this position, um, because I look at all my friends in my mum's group and all my friends that have had babies recently and everyone's just on mat leave. And, um, I thought I was going to feel how Al feels that it was going to be this really nice outlet, um, that I would love, to, that I would love having this thing of my own, um, which is my identity. But I do have those days for sure. I like have those moments now while I'm coming through the other side and she's got a bit more of a routine and, um, you know, I can sit down and do a couple of hours and, and it feels like my old life, but I'm still in this really thick, the thick of it where I'm definitely in the identity crisis at the moment where I don't know if, you know, what, what my life is going to look like and, and where my identity is. Um, so that's something I'm trying to work out at the moment and kind of navigate into 2023 as to how I find that balance of, um, motherhood and career and yeah, what, what that looks like, which is so hard. Um, but I'm just taking it a day at the time. The girls have been amazing. Um, Al gets a lot of voice memos or voice memos me back and yeah, has a lot of texts and calls. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I think you're amazing. Pretty- you're doing such a good job. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but it's been really nice too. They understand, which is really nice. And it's nice to have people that have been through a similar situation and can um, kind of help you with that. Um, yeah. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm. We've been there. It's just like, it's thick. It's foggy. It's thick. It's, it's, you're pretty low. And I I know Elle and we've had these chats before. You just, it's not good. I think what I really struggled with was that shift in 
mental capacity and bandwidth, you know, like you, you you have this life before you have your children and it's like you've got several tabs open at one time and then when you have the baby, there are more tabs open than you can fathom and no matter what you do, you can't close any of them. And it's it's you. I think that feeling of being so stretched and wanting to be so present with your baby, wanting to be present with your business or your partner or your friends. I think that responsibility that weighs on mothers is it's it's gargantuan. It really is. Yeah. And I feel for me, like you say, I can't, I tried doing the thing where I worked, like, you know, I thought, oh, she's okay. She'll play. And, you know, I can sit next to her and have my laptop and I just can't do it. I just feel like I, um, I need to be really present. And I worked that out quite early on, um, because I realized I got either frustrated if she got, she needed me and I was deep in an email or deep in a design piece or whatever it be. And then, and then I got frustrated and it's not her fault or vice versa. Like, you know, um, yeah, just, I just couldn't do the two. So now I've got a strict rule that I don't work if she, you know, if I'm with her and she's awake, I don't work. So I've just allocated nap times. Nights is my main section where I get like a good five hours done as soon as Isaac gets home. But yeah, it's, it's hard navigating it and, um, yeah, working out, working your way through it all, but mm-hmm. we'll get there. <laughs> It's like the way I've been thinking about, I spoke to Zoe about this in the last episode is, you know, um, birth and death are two thresholds that once we rip, we get kind of ripped through them, pulled to the other side. And then once we land on the other side, nothing's the same. And we, I think, experience that natural kind of compassion for for the part of us that thought it would be where you're like oh mm. that's very funny now <laughs> now that I'm on on the other side of this you know and then I think <clears throat> also in the moving through that threshold and that kind of um transformation of self is I think a realization especially when you have the privilege of holding a pregnancy and actually giving birth to a baby having a baby is you immediately recognize that your work is something you do. It's just not who you are. And actually Mm. what you are is life force. And Mm. it's like, there's no coming back from that. Like there's no trying to convince yourself otherwise is there. Because even when you try, if I'm going to do the work and have the baby beside me, you're like, oh, (laughs) no, you know, you just want to be with them. So um, on um, motherhood, before we kick into some business pieces, Sarah, I'd love to know <clears throat> what type of mother did you think you would be mm. versus the type of mother you actually are? Do you know what? I don't think I had any preconceived ideas of what kind of mother I was going to be. Um, I'm, I was blessed to have a mum that stayed at home, but I knew I wasn't going to be that. Um I also wasn't going to be full-time back in the office, so I knew I wasn't going to be that. I knew I'd be somewhere in the middle. And I think I've become the the best version I am. Um, I think we all strive to be that mum that's present in the room with our, our children. 
um, with the phone away, which, you know, you don't get to um, early on. You find, kind of find your way there. And I guess, you know, when we were talking about maybe success, that's what success looks like to me is that I can have my phone away and I'm not checking it when I'm with Willie and I can play with him and really be in the play with him um, and not be frustrated that I have to be somewhere else. Um, so I think that's, I'm kind of landed in that zone now. I know that when I go into motherhood again next year and I'm in that tug of war of being in two places at once and needing to be in two places at once, I'll really get frustrated and I'll like, and I'm trying to work out how to work my way around that and not be in that again. Cause that is the worst feeling of, you know, having something you have to do and then, but you look at your children, you're like, but I have to be here too. Um, that's not a nice feeling. So it's just trying to work out how I can avoid that as much as possible, but knowing that I will have to do it at some point. Um, but I don't know, I don't know if I had any preconceived ideas, to be honest, which is kind of a nice thing because you can go with what you are and become who you are. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful answer. Well, Such a you answer. Yeah. <laughs> She's so good with that. I guess I wasn't, oh no, um, I guess I wasn't the person that like dreamed of like being a mom. I, I didn't have that whole thing of that was my goal in life, I guess, to stay at home and do the mom thing. And um, But then, you know, as women you have this kind of, uh, I guess preconceived, you know, what you should be doing almost. And I knew that was, I, I knew I wanted to do it and I'm glad I'm doing it. And it makes me feel really great that I'm in it and I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do this as well and experience life. And I think that's what I'm so happy about is that I get to experience this and have the lessons that these beautiful people give us. And I've never laughed so much in my life with my <laughs> son. So it is just so much fun. Um, but I guess I, yeah, I wasn't that person that was just like, that's exact. That's what I want to do. You know, as a teenager, I wasn't like, I want to be a mum. Um, I wasn't pretending I wasn't like doing all those role plays. I was just like, no, I think I'm going to own my own business or I think I'm going to work hard. I just, and eventually I'll do that. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of going with the flow of it all and seeing and just, yeah, taking the opportunities that present themselves. And that's what I do with my girls and didn't give them this amazing experience and, I can't wait to just experience that. Mm, I love that, my girls. Mm. My girls. I know. I like, every <laughs> time girls. I hear her say that or I say that to Sarah, oh, my God, it brings me so much joy. But just to even do motherhood it's like so with fun. all of you, with you three, mm. I think has shaped the experience that we've well, I know it's shaped the experience I've had um, and, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. But um there's something there's something so raw and true when you have that shared experience and you know Alison I know you and I we went through our fertility struggles at the same time and we went through loss at the same time and then Sarah and I had our sons just 7 weeks apart and then second time round we're also pregnant at the same time and for us to also be able to then be able to guide Beck whenever she needs us and to remind her of the job she's doing. There's, I don't know, but like I thought I had an amazing, strong female tribe before, but when 
the role of motherhood comes into play, it takes it to a whole other mm. level. Like I can't, um, I can't actually put it into words. Mm. Your, I think all of our businesses have experienced growth and expansion since we last spoke. L, can you share with us? It might not be one thing. Um, it might be a couple of things, but what was the defining, I'd actually love to hear this from all of you, actually. What was the defining thing that unlocked true growth for your business? Um, that's a really good question. I think I've always sort of followed this approach of when growing my team or scaling, you know, the employees within my team, I would always be quite cautious to do it. I think as a leader who considers himself to be an empathetic leader, I take a huge amount of responsibility in thinking, well, if I'm going to hire someone and, you know, give them a, a yearly salary, I need to know and have complete certainty that I can pay their their wage at the end of the day. And so when I'm hiring, I have to know that that revenue and that business income is there to support that person's salary. I, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself, you know, if I was if cash flow was so tight that I didn't know if I could pay, make payroll at the end of the month. And so I think for that reason, I've always been um, slow to hire or really mindful when I do do hire anyone. And I think once the business had arrived at a place financially where it was safe to hire more senior people within my team, um, particularly, you know, a managing editor who could really help take a huge amount of workload off my plate. Um, that's when I saw a real shift, you know, where I think about where I am now about to embark on my second postpartum period, it looks completely different to how my first looked, um, one, because of how my business is structured and, you know, now I do have a managing editor who is amazing um, and will be able to take the reins when allowing me to have some time off for the first time. So, yeah, I, I think it was once I, I really just the numbers were there and I felt comfortable in investing large amounts of money into the right people, that's when I started to see even more growth. Just going through this myself at the moment, so that really lands (laughs) for me. Um, Beck, what about you? Yeah, I think for me, um, definitely getting in a flow between me being in New Zealand and the team in Aussie, um, which COVID was actually a blessing for that because it forced us um, prior to that, I was traveling every month. So three weeks, New Zealand, one week, Sydney. Um, And so I think it was actually amazing because it taught us um, how to work really well remotely from each other. I also think it gave everyone confidence um, to be able to really own their role and to feel, um, you know, like taken on completely and not have to kind of feel they need to check things with me all the time and things like that. Um, 
for us also, I had um, concentrated on online for so long, um, which I was really happy to do that. Uh, but naturally, we have then gone into wholesale and things like that. And now we uh, have a corporate revenue stream as well, which for us has just been so good um, because we don't have all our eggs in one basket. So, um, you know, sometimes when online's a wee bit down, corporate is just skyrocketing and then vice versa and things like that. So I've been really lucky and I think it's made me a lot more confident um in the business and the structure and things just um expanding in those kind of areas over the last few years um and there's also so much opportunity within those areas as well I definitely um feel yeah the next five years kind of thing there's a lot there that could be done um and then I think we've just really got on a flow. Um, I'm really into pillars. Um, so I, we have core pillars as a team. And I think we've just got such a strong team at the moment. We're all across them so well. Um, and we have really clear goals. We're all about the tiny details. And I always say the last 1%. I think a lot of brands do 99% amazingly and then they forget that last one percent and I think when you're a business like an organized life when we don't have a lot of newness in terms of products we really have to focus on that one percent um, and it's just in those tiny details and it's across every single person's role um, you know from yeah from PR to online to dispatch to everything so um, I think since we've kind of come to that goal um, as a team it's really escalated us and um, yeah been been really good Mm. This just makes me think about, um, you know, as I am beginning to grow my own team, you know, going from working on your own for four years to then having to let people in to your, you know, very methodical ways. I definitely have those moments where I'm like, you know, my attention to detail is mm -hmm. next level. <laughs> and part of what I've realised is, it's very important for me as a founder to share with my team the why behind that attention to detail because mm. it doesn't actually stem from being a perfectionist, which I think we lean on that label, but it does not serve us in any way because actually, like you're saying, that that final 1% is actually for the customer and for the community and for the way they experience our brand, the rigour around our branding you know, everything from like copy style, like I yep. will go in and say, we don't put full stops on the end of bullet points. Like I'm still there where I'm like, mm. but I have to catch myself in the moment <laughs> to be like, yeah, like don't, don't think, oh, they're going to think I'm so crazy. And they're going to think I'm this founder that's staying up in the middle of the night, checking full stops. It's actually trying to remove that personal flavor from it and bring them back to the reality that this really is about the the community and what they get at the end of the day. And the more consistent we are and the more we deliver surprise, delight, give that high quality experience, the higher our retention is going to be. So that's where it comes from. So when I give you feedback and it looks like I'm going into these random little rabbit holes, that's mm. where it comes from. It's been just a lesson for me in remembering that we need to state the why mm behind the what otherwise mm. when we just land the what they just feel like oh my god here she goes again with the full stops you know mm. <laughs> mm. um so what about you because I feel like you might say marketing but I could be wrong marketing's a big one um I think I've shared the same like mm. um oh my god I just finished it. Oh, guys. I loved it recently. it's so yeah, good. I loved it thank you it's good 
That was a big one, and we could share it's the story. building or a story, brand, um, <laughs> in case people want to look at it too. Yeah, it's it was a game changer. So I'm obviously addicted to podcasts and listening to podcasts and just trying to get as much knowledge as possible. Um, and a big one for me, I guess, to unlock that growth potential is, and I don't know who said it, but it's like if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. And they just sat like that really was like, okay, like mix it up and mm-hmm. like you can't do the same thing you did last year. It's, otherwise you don't get that same mediocre return. And so, you know, obviously hiring is a massive piece of the puzzle and hiring of the right person, but that upskill and more senior. And, and it takes a really long time to get to that point of being able to financially um, support that team. And, you know, I only really have one senior um, management person on our team so far, but it has, it, it needs more um, and we'll get there. But I have to be really careful not to um, grow too fast in that area because payroll is a scary time um, for any kind of size business, I think. You're just like, okay, make sure that that is all there set aside and it's a big responsibility. Um, and taking risks. I mean, we're in that growth stage where you kind of like have to take a bit of some big risk and it's scary. So, but you have to back yourself and you have to believe in where you're going. And I really believe in my brand. I believe in all the girls' brands. We just create such beautiful businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is a scary time of that growth phase. And I'm kind of in that now where I'm like, ooh, I'm at that next tier. And um, I know it'll work, but you do have to put that, that 1% in, as Beck said, you just have to go full on and you have to explain the why, everything that you're doing so that your team knows what to do if you're not there, especially with going into postpartum. Um, they need to be able to know not to put that full stop there or to, you know, edit this thing a certain way or this is how we do mm. a DM to someone or, you know, customer service to someone or pack a package or all these little pieces of the puzzle, like you can't, take that on after work and be like, oh, I'm just going to go on our customer service and answer this thing because you just can't mentally do that anymore. Um, and really trying to kind of bring that bigger picture and growth phase to that business. It's hard. There's so much obviously that goes into it all. And then you're trying to do your social media work mm-hmm. as well. And you're just like, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and trying to do the selfie, I can't do that oh, anymore. Yeah. It's just like priorities. I, I remember being in that that exact stage. I think I was in that that stage a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago. And it's so interesting how like motherhood has now shifted what my version of success looks like. I used to think I wanted the team of like 40 staff. Mm-hmm. I wanted to run this huge digital media company and you know, I wanted this giant, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, it's still do. very small business, <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that was the aspiration before I had my son. And now that I have him, I have a team of 10 and it's the perfect sweet spot. I don't want any more people to manage because, as you know, any of your listeners would know, if you run a business and you're responsible for staff or employees, that becomes the job. And I don't, I, I don't want it to really be any bigger 
I don't want to give any more of myself because I want to keep some of that for my family, for my for my son, for my next child. Um, and it's it's kind of nice because, yeah, you sort of, you, you're chasing one thing and you think that that's, you know, what you're striving for. And then I realised I actually don't want that anymore and mm. that's a beautiful thing too. So much acceptance in that and the bliss is in the present moment. Yeah. It's here. We're in it right now, you know. Yeah. And the future is just an idea and we're oftentimes we're living our lives in the idea, mm. uh, all up in our head. Our reality is the idea. Mm. But actually what are we then not paying attention to is just that it's right here. And I always talk about this inside my professional development space is like we really need to interrogate this idea of growth and mm. scale. And just because we can be global and go global and be big and have these big teams, it doesn't mean we should. And that might not actually be right for community and society and the world at large. And also so you self. start to really think about your responsibility as a founder now. This localization movement, it's like we can feed into that really beautifully if we unsubscribe from what has been shown to us of what it looks like to succeed. But um, the only way that's going to happen is if we do model that change. And that means moving away from some of those milestones, I think, that we think we needed to get to, to be this X amount revenue business or yeah, this many people on our team. Or So I totally relate on the team side is one of the reasons I left Allure is as much as I loved leading it wasn't my full passion. I wanted to be creating. I'm a storyteller. I'm a journalist. And so it's beautiful to step into that for a season. I want to talk to you about seasons, but it doesn't mean that once you've become a leader, you have to be a leader of these massive teams for the rest of your life either. And there's been so much joy in getting back on the tools mm. and just creating because that's my happy place. Um, so I do want to talk about this idea of seasons, which is something that I teach inside my space as well. And a big kind of belief that underpins all of my work is that professionally, um, our professional lives exist in these seasons as do our personal lives. And in any different season we're earning, we have the potential to earn something different. What we've subscribed to is that it's money. We're in a professional season, we earn our money, but my belief is that sometimes it's a season of money, sometimes it's a season of flexibility, sometimes it's rest, health, mentorship, experience. As you kind of stare down, let's say next year, what season do you believe you're entering and what will you be earning? Beck, this might be a beautiful one for you. Yeah, oh, that's so hard. I don't know if I have my answer just yet, um, but I would say probably the a season of flexibility, I think, is probably um, the one for me, potentially. Um, I feel like I was in a season of rest, which I really needed, and then I went into, um, I don't even know, it's like I went into the most amazing time of my life. Like I just loved the last, even though it was COVID, I don't know how that happened, but um, I just loved like the last couple of years. Um and yeah, and now I definitely feel like, yeah, maybe in, in going into a season where flexibility is um, a priority for me. Um, and I think, like you say, you do evolve and I'm still getting something out of that. I think um, 
I've always strived for growth. And like you say, it has usually been financial growth or challenging. Like I've loved, I love problem solving. Give me a problem and I'm, I'm the one to, to sort it out. I love deep diving and problem solving. And that's part of being a business owner. Um, I love getting to a solution and knowing that I've learned along the way and and I've grown. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, the next step will be that it will be, I will be getting fulfilled with it in a different way that I probably, I'm is definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, my other motto at the moment is courage over comfort, um, which is harder. Mm. It's easier said than done. Um, Emma Lewisham is, that's her biggest, um, kind of motto. And I just, yeah, she has been, um, great recently to talk to as a fellow mother as well and a business owner and um yeah I really respect her for having that because it's easy to stay um you know in the same place I guess and I think yeah heading heading into a new season I'm um I'm terrified but I'm excited Mm. what about you Elle what do you see for your next professional season what will you earn um, next year is going to be a really interesting year for me. My second baby will be due in February. And right now I'm preparing for what will be my slow season. And I'm really, really excited about it. I have never had a slow season in my 34 years. Um, and I feel like I've earned it. I am preparing in the way that I've, you know, met and had the privilege of being able to um, afford a postpartum doula. So for the first eight weeks when my baby is born, it's just going to be my boys, the baby and her in our special space. And I'm really excited for what that slow time will look like. Um, I'm excited not to work and not to be in my business or work on my business for that time and allow my team to really, you know, come to the table and, and, um, take over the reins. I trust them implicitly and, and know that while I am off, um, acting editor will do a fantastic job. Um, and then in the second half of next year, I will be launching another business. So <laughs> um, I am excited for what that season will look like because it. I think the first six months and the second six months of 2023 will be, you know, very contrasted. Um, but I'm excited for, I guess, that injection of creativity that I'll likely feel and I expect to feel it you know, around that four to six month postpartum period mark. Um, It might not come just then, but that's when I think it will probably kick in. And yeah, I'm excited to launch this new business. Um, It's, it's something completely different. And um, I'm just, I think, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the slowness and then I'm excited to um, start something new. Slowness, slowness and newness. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Um, I'd like to talk about money and I'd like to talk about this idea that I've been 
really rallying against and behind in my own work. And that is, what does it mean to accumulate a relevant amount of economic wealth? Mm. And can we empower ourselves um, as all things, all of our labels, as women, as founders, business owners, mothers, can we empower ourselves with a figure that once we've earned it, that's enough and we can take our foot off the the pedal. Since this has been a bit of a revelation for me is the first thing is that there's lots of different ways to build wealth. We don't have to always work. It doesn't have to be time and energy in exchange for money. So really empowering ourselves around what it means to build sustainable long-term wealth for ourselves and our families. But also can we arrive at a number where once we hit it, we go, okay, I've done it and we can get off the fucking hamster wheel a little bit. Yeah. Mm. I just want to know like <clears throat> what comes up for you when I say that? Is some is that something that you've sort of explored for yourself at all? Like do you have that number or do you feel like you're still just going and earning and needing to earn to keep the wheels in motion? Sarah, what about you? Yeah, um I've been thinking a lot about um, financial independence over the last little while. Um, and I think because when you start a business, you take a really big step back um, with your financial independence. Um, and it's uncomfortable, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm very thankful to have a partner who has a really stable job and he is able to, you know, provide for the family very generously um, while I I've had to take a big cut to my um, kind of contributions. And, like, it's frustrating, especially it's frustrating when you then enter the, mm-hmm. that phase of motherhood where you know you're on pause again and, um, you know, your own capabilities are kind of, you know, trapped a little bit. Um, but then I know that I'm working on a business that's going to have long-term benefits for our family and, you know, we're getting close to, like, me really being able to, you know, step up my contributions as well. Um, so I think I do have a number now that you kind of raise that, you know, as a, a figure. Um, it's nice. To, I, um, I didn't take an income with my business for the first four years, and I was earning a little bit with um, my social media work. And the figure that I do take in now is kind of like, very junior level, um, and I slowly each year give myself a raise as we can afford it. Um, That's the other thing, right? Brand founders pay themselves less than their employees, and I feel like that is the point that needs to be talked about. I am less than my staff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I do that so that I can give them more. But I feel like that's something that rarely gets touched upon. Yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah. And you need to you need to pay yourself so you don't feel resentful for that too. Like you need to be like, oh no, I'm I am actually sure. worthy, and I yeah. am part of this team, and I'm part of payroll, and you know. No. And but you can't do yeah, that it's to begin sacrifice. with. It's really difficult to begin with, um, and you have to make sacrifices. Yeah, hugely. Um, so, and I know it'll take me a long time to get to that figure I've got in my head. Um, I would say. Maybe another five years, um, but I know we're on the path to get there, which is nice. Um, 
but yeah, I think just that whole thing about women needing to be financially independent. I'm very passionate about it. Um, earning, earning super, making sure that, that is there for you. Um, just things that we sometimes I think about and you're like, Oh, that's someone else's problem. Or that's my problem later. Like it's our problem now. Just like make sure you're, you're getting that. Mm-hmm. Cause that's when I was doing my figures of like working back from the retirement number mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with an estimate of what I'd have in super and what he'd have in super. Obviously we don't own a property and this is the other thing that I talk really openly about in my space is that that sacrifice piece is there was a point where I'd come back off like I guess my semi-maternity leave and had engaged my now colleague Lucy to help me sort of consciously scale the business. And I said to her, I've got this amount of money in the business bank account. We're going to drain it trying. If this doesn't work, then I'm going to have to go and get a job because I've now for four years, I haven't earned. I've eaten up a lot of our savings trying to make the business work. So I've sacrificed a property, but then have had this kind of realization that around property ownership and what am I actually attaching myself to with that anyway? But when I did the figure back from retirement to now, it got really real for me. Mm. And it really was the thing I needed to unlock the true kind of intrinsic motivation to do something about it versus be like, oh, that's later. Because knowing with not contributing to my super for nearly four years, what that meant long-term, yeah. the mm. actual figure in the end, But it's so hard, right? Because when you're in those building years, I did the exact same thing as you and Sarah. Like I didn't pay myself a wage for the first four four to five years. I didn't pay myself super for the first four to five years. And it's hard because when you're in the building phase, every single dollar that you earn goes back into the business, not into you as an individual. You know, you don't reap personal wealth in those building years mm-hmm. you know you you hope that you, that hard work pays off down the track but mm-hmm. um i've i've definitely been in that exact season that you're in and um yeah talking about financial independence i mean sarah knows how passionate i get about it it is something that is such an emotional thing for me mm-hmm. and i think it is probably the number one reason that I am a tenacious woman because of what I experienced as a child. I had a very much a working class family, a beautiful stay-at-home mother who sacrificed her career, the ultimate sacrifice, and, you know, a middle-class working father, and we lost everything when I was a child. They experienced bankruptcy, and I've experienced what it's like to be really poor. Like I've experienced what it's like to have a family where you have to survive on government assistance because there's no money anywhere. And I think for me it's shaped me to be this fiercely independent person who refuses to ever end up Mm. in the situation that my parents found themselves in. Mm. And financial awareness and education is everything. It's so intimidating. It's so confusing. It's so perplexing. The system is designed to perplex you. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I feel like I'm in this season right now. I, my husband and I literally just had a session with a financial advisor last week and we've never done that 
before. Um, but to hear from an advisor, okay, well, if you can take just a small, you know, this portion of your savings and rather than let it sit in a high interest account, move it into shares or look at debt recycling or look at, you know, whether that um, is is real estate as, as a way to grow personal wealth. It's so fascinating, just like you said, how making like those very small, tiny, tiny tweaks now can change what your retirement years look like. And the biggest thing for me is that as an adult, I've had to support my family financially and I never want my children to do that for me. I want to get to a place when I am in my retirement years and I can say to them, do you need money? I can give it to you because I never, ever had that. You know, like I, I, when I was 17, 18 years old, I was earning 22, I think 22. Oh, sorry, darling. Oh, 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 here I go. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I got my period today as well. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm pregnant, so I'll just yeah, try no matter what. Um, <laughs> you know what just hits for me? It just hits so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's so <laughs> hard. I know. I, I look back on my 18-year-old self and I was or 19-year-old self and I had just gotten my first job at Cosmo. I think I was paid $360 a week. So my salary was less than $20,000 a year and I'm um, pretty sure they, <laughs> they didn't even put me on payroll so I still had to pay tax on that. Um, <laughs> and I was living in <laughs> I was living in my grandmother's social housing one bedroom flat and I survived off 295 KFC meals and that's all I could afford in my that's literally all I could afford I could afford my weekly train ticket to go to work and I would come home and I would eat that <laughs> that awful <laughs> oily chicken um, because it was the only thing I could afford. And the motivation that I had at that time to get out of that situation, I knew was money. And I think we look at money sometimes as <laughs> this um, commodity that, you know, makes you appear greedy or um, vain in any way. And I just don't look at it like that because. For me, financial independence is freedom. Freedom. And no, I was not crying. I I think as a woman as well, I want my son to to grow up and look at me and know that I worked my ass off for him and to give him a life where he can grow up in a beautiful home, in a beautiful area, be able to eat the foods that I couldn't. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that that's why I'm so um, so incredibly passionate about women in particular seeking education when it comes to their own financial, personal wealth. Um, it's something that's not talked about. There's not enough resources out there. And, you know, there's some great po- financial podcasts, um, but, it's it's just not talked about openly. And like Sarah said, we are the ones because we have children, 
we often do have to make that financial sacrifice. We are the ones who take time away from the jobs and the careers whilst our husbands continue to work. And that that creates an impact on us and, and mm, the lives long term. that long term. Um, but I think if we can arrive at a place where we, there's just a level of awareness, um, it can have such a major change on what our lives look like. Mm. Not just not just in like a figure value, but in what that that just looks like. You know, having the privilege of being able to go out and buy a green juice is like literally something I don't take for granted. Mm. Because when you have been that poor, yeah. Mm. As you can tell, we're all really passionate about financial literacy. I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you that prioritizing and protecting our deserving right to earn is a topic that I champion deeply in my work as a conscious career, business and leadership coach. If you would benefit from being in a professional community that offers you gentle but consistent accountability to place your awareness on topics like this, then my invitation to you is to visit my website and sign up to my mailing list. It's the first place I share any and all opportunities to join me. To join us, visit getoffline.co. And this is one thing, Elle, that I've been really really diving deep on with Betty because, you know, so much of the shape of my ambition like yours and my life is um, directly stems from my upbringing mm. and being poor. And we have a very similar upbringing. I know, so you know we've talked about this, yeah. Um, but I guess what I've been thinking about is so this beautiful little girl is going to grow up in Bondi in the eastern suburbs. I mean, we're public school all the way because that was just the diversity um, of everything, thought, culture, colour. Like, I just think it's actually a gift, our public school system. Oh, it's absolutely. really good, just like our absolutely. health system. Um, yeah. And also like one of the classes at Bondi Public is surfing, so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is where you're going to want to be going. I love that. <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about... Um, how do I play a role in, in raising this beautifully aware girl that has a true understanding of um, her privilege? How do I give her enough but not too much? Because I want mm. her to also have that sense of awareness in her that it's important for her to, you know, make contact with her truth and to find that intrinsic motivation to, you know, go and do good in the world. You know, what I wish for myself is like, how helpful it would have been just for my parents to help me pay for my first car or to help me with my uni fees or anything, you know what I mean? Like I moved out at 16, then again at 18, then again at 21, all just because I couldn't, there was nothing for me at home, you know? Um, and even now as an adult, like Tony and I went to the bank twice when I was a publisher. I was a group publisher of four global websites. Like he's a incredible create award-winning creative director we're sitting in the bank we're on these senior salaries and they're like sorry no guarantor 
because no property in my family, no equity, no assets. We had a a decent um, deposit, but sorry, you can't buy in Bondi. And it's just like, oh man, like it just feels like no matter how hard I work, it's actually not going to change our reality, especially as it relates to property. And this is the thing is I want to share for anyone when we're talking, you're like, yes, like if it's landing deep in the body, it's time for you to move into action. And the thing is like, well, there's one book that really helped me with the investing is called Invested by Danielle Town. Her dad, Phil Town, is a really well-known value investor, which is kind of Warren Buffett's whole shtick. Um, but she is a really great audiobook. If you buy the audiobook, it comes with all of these beautiful guides to help you. And really it's about um, where to put your money investing in companies that you believe in. So it's not also about just like chucking money into shares and hoping for the best. It's value investing over the long term. So that's one really big thing that we can just do is just like listen to that audiobook if it resonates, make your way through the material and then start making some decisions about um, like building long-term sustainable wealth, paying attention to our super. So for anyone who is working for themselves and not currently paying their super, um, we have to have a look at that. And one thing we talk about within off in the space is um, as a founder, decide your minimum viable income. What is the very bare covers your bills with a little bit to obviously hopefully enjoy. Then there's a median income. So what's that kind of would like to be earning more, but that's actually a fair wage. And then what is what we call our true self-success salary? What is that number that allows you to live in um, whatever you identify as luxury? It's different for all of us. But within that higher number, it is um, some overflow that allows you to consciously recirculate your money um, into the places and spaces, communities, groups, whatever it is that that need it. But this is, we have to move into action now. You know mm. what I mean? Like I'm 37 years old and I've just gotten my shit together and it's barely together to be honest. But I came into the beginning of this year, I said, that's enough with the fucking money stories, Alison. We're getting on with it now. And I spent, it took me six months to understand it. Mm. So at night time on the weekends, I'm not going to lie, I hated it, sitting at my desk doing it. But I was like, if we put in this time now, reorganised all of our bank accounts, blah, 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 did the whole thing, it's been an absolute task and it's still not right. Like we still come up short, like I haven't got the numbers right. Like Tony's like, I've run out of money on the uh, the joint lifestyle card. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so it needs tweaks but I guess my big call to action is if this is resonating and what we're saying is resonating yes. then... Let's go, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Do it for you. Um, I'm conscious of your time, so I don't want to take too much. I've only got a couple of questions left. Um, for the three of you, this one actually, and Beck will start with you, is I'd like to talk about the ever-evolving landscape of influencer marketing, <laughs> something that you're all, um, you know, very in tune with. What do you believe is the kind of fundamental thing that's changed in the space and how has that impacted the way you think about that as, I suppose, an income stream and just a part of the way that you're in your work? Because what we know is from when we first recorded, it's a very different landscape, but is there one kind of key change that you've identified? Um, 
That is a tricky question. I think it has changed so much. And I think from when we all started, I was probably the latest to start out of the three of us. Um, for I know all of us are really genuine when we um, take on alignments and things like that. We really think them through. I know if it's skincare, we trial the skincare first. I know if it's, you know, we're kind of, um, we're really conscious. It's not just all about a paycheck. It's about, you know, we, I know we all turn down things and I think that's also really important. Um, I do feel like that landscape has changed a lot. I, um, I obviously know that like we've all been saying, um, we all want to make a salary and I think that's completely fair game to people who are making that through Instagram. Um, I just think the landscape has changed a bit in that respect that I think, um, I'm not sure if everyone has that same mindset as us potentially. Um, and I know we all still do. Um, for me personally, it's still a really big dream. It's my whole salary for myself. And then it gives me the flexibility to be able to grow and organize life and uh, not feel stressed about the founder salary. And that's just what I've decided to do um and a way that I have been able to reach those markers like you were saying um obviously the goal is to work towards uh not having to stress about that because it is another thing as well it's a whole nother job uh but for me I actually love it and it's it's a, such a creative outlet for me and I I don't know if I'm the same but I think um it used to be hitting the certain amount of likes and certain amount of, you know, all these different targets. And I think sometimes when you start to think like that, you change, everything changes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm definitely more about making sure everything is really true to me. And if someone came into my life, like into my house, it's, they can expect it's, it's like a overview. Obviously it's the top, the top, um, you know, looks looks beautiful and things but I don't I personally don't share a lot of really personal things and that's been my choice I love to keep it separate I always think if I was to walk into a room of new people would I tell them that I've just gone through a breakup or would I tell them that you know x y and z and it's not the case I think I look for um Instagram it's a way that I have a creative outlet it's um a really fun way to uh you know build a community um but it is definitely a changing landscape. And I think consumer trust and things as well is really big. I think a lot of people um, don't trust, um, you know, influencers as much anymore. And I think that's a real shame. I, I understand both sides. Um, also, as a founder who works with, you know, we work with brands and influencers too. Um, I see it from both sides. Um, but I definitely think there's a space for it. I think it's just finding, you know, finding the people that inspire you and their, their, their content or their voice or anything that, that talks to you um, and making it a place that you enjoy rather than um, something that may make you feel not so great. Um, so, yeah, definitely an ever-changing landscape. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I've got one thing that's specific that's changed, to be honest. I think, um, yeah, the other two might have something more specific. I just think there's probably more variety and, yeah, I'm not so sure about um, the kind of the the why of going. The authenticity, that. isn't yeah. it? I think for us it all happened naturally. We didn't really start thinking this would ever be a career or a revenue stream or anything. It was absolutely just just naturally progressed um and maybe that's why compared to now you know people will say 
like my goal is to be an influencer type thing. So the whole landscape of that has changed as well. Mm. Beautiful answer. What do you think, Sarah? I find Instagram right now super frustrating as a business owner who's trying to promote their business and trying to get the ROI and just trying to keep up with our um, sale expectations. So frustration. And the reels. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, the goddamn. That bloody <laughs> algorithm. It is. I know everyone just is over it, but as a business owner and you're just trying to, you know, move forward with it, it's just like so annoying. Um and that's where I come back to the influencer marketing. I'm like, well, if you do it really well, that's how you can cut through. So um, it has a real place still mm. in the game um, of marketing and branding and selling product, but it has to be well aligned. Mm-hmm. Like I know I'm not going to reach out to a majority of people because I know they will not sell my product because they're not the right voice, they're not the right person, their followers aren't our customer Um, but then there are people who really uh, speak to that customer perfectly and I see an instant result Um, and it just goes to show that if you have that genuine approach then you can really carve out your place in that space um, and earn really well from it too because the brands will come back to you time and time again because you can actually provide provide real results Um, Personally, with it all, I it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be obvious to tell that I've taken a real big step back just because of time constraints and, you know, it, when you're also pregnant, you don't really feel like putting yourself out there for a lot. Um, but well, I guess with the earning thing as well and, like, earning a fraction of um, the salary you want to earn, um, I still think there's lots of opportunity there for myself to kind of financially support myself in these channels again. Um, I want to revisit my blog. I mean, it still has such great SEO and um, potential. And it's a really lovely space, like away from Instagram, it's a beautiful space to kind of put my content and um, and serve people who want to see inside my home or my wardrobe or my style. Um, so maybe I would revisit that when I'm, I don't know when I'll find the time next year. Um, you know, <laughs> I have goals. It's, it's not <laughs> like you're having two more babies or yeah. anything. <laughs> we, have the inten- we have the intention. <laughs> if all the intention. I just, I, lo- I love that kind of safe space of, um, yeah, a website. I think that's, that's the advice I tell um, anyone who listens. Um, the people who are starting their kind of influencer careers now, like don't put your eggs all mm-hmm. in these um, channels because – you can't, you can't like, rely on them. You don't know what's going to happen around the corner. You can get hacked. I mean, you see it every day. It's just awful um, for people who really rely on these channels for their independence. Um, and these bloody algorithms, I mean, you work so hard to build up, you know, your followers um, for businesses, for ind- individuals, um, and then have, you know, 1% reach is just pretty, like, can be pretty frustrating um and i know it sounds pretty like oh so complainy but um it is frustrating when you have spent so much time on it um and so i guess the biggest change is that i would say just not have that same reach potential i think mm-hmm. um and it just has a big onflow effect 
Yeah. And on the back of Sia, I think one thing we've all talked about is that we have all had this other channel, um, like we've all had a business, but it doesn't have to be, That's right. um, it doesn't have to be a business like we've got. It's like even just content mm. creation where you're not having to post on social media. If like you love creating content, it's even looking into those avenues. Like we work with great people. User-generated content. Yeah. Yes. We work with most, like I don't shoot much anymore for an organized life because I felt it, I felt I was doing everything. And now I work with these great content creators that they don't have to post. They like, you know, I, I love working with them. They create, create such beautiful content. Um, and that's a whole nother revenue stream that also, um, you know, it's a, it's another thing for them that isn't just that influencer work. Um, and so I think that's important. And I also on, you know, on the task of, um, saying no to business, um, I do, I know it's really hard at the time and, and especially when you're trying to hit a target and pay your rent bills, but I think it pays off long-term because, that's when your audience begins to trust you and they know, you know, if you're, if you're chopping, changing from all these things and it doesn't really flow, I think people do pick up on it. And then um, I think when you do stay really authentic to yourself and it's really hard saying no, you're a really good paycheck, but it, um, it does pay off. And then you'll get, like Sia said, you'll find these clients that you just gel and are perfect alignments and then you work with them time and time again and then more come out from that and it just it does have a great flow on effect so um yeah that would be my advice too when you're kind of starting out um don't be afraid to say no even though it sucks um <laughs> but yeah, just yeah you gotta gotta do what you gotta do and um you do yeah and I would say like consider joining my space if you need scripting advice because that's one of the biggest <laughs> yeah. things I offer is like how to say no yes yeah and how to do it in a way that doesn't burn bridges yeah and, mm. But we just have to acknowledge that not we're not always able to know this stuff. Sometimes we have to get that help. What do you think, Elle? What have you found has been the biggest kind of change and how has that impacted the way you think about um, platforms like Instagram? I have such a love-hate relationship with Instagram. I think a lot of us do because we work in digital and social media. Um, yeah, to echo everything Sarah and Beck said, you know, my Instagram platform was very much not intentional and creating the community was not intentional. I, did, I, I, you know, worked in publishing as a beauty editor and never had any, you know, conscious intention of becoming, for lack of a better word, an influencer. Um, I love it for the inspiration. I love it for the creativity. I love it for the sense of community that you can um, connect particularly with women, um, on, I really dislike that it is pay for play. And as Sarah mentioned, you can have a community, but Facebook or Meta or whatever they want to be called nowadays makes you either the influencer or the publisher or the business or the e-commerce store pay money to reach the people who choose to follow you. And that is shit. It's just bananas, <laughs> um, isn't it? It's really shit because like Sarah said, you, you know, you could have this amazing community of let's say 100,000 people, but Facebook or Instagram or Meta will make sure that it that content only is seen by X amount of eyeballs unless you have a Facebook business account and you spend X amount of dollars, you know, often into the thousands 
to reach more of the people who resonate with you. Um, And so I really despise that. Equally, though, what I find frustrating with, with platforms like social media is, you know, I think it's great that there is transparency and that they provide functions where, you know, you need to put the paid partnership tool on, you need to have that level of transparency with your community. That's like a non-negotiable uh, for all of us. However, where I come or where I reach a point of frustration is that those same rules that the ACCC um, instills don't apply to the magazines that you open. Mm. And when you flip, turn on the TV and you see a Pepsi can in a movie mm-hmm. or you hear something on the radio, none of those media channels had to tell you that that was pay for play. And so I get frustrated with that because it feels like in some ways influencers are policed, yet big, big publications, um, news news networks or TV channels or radio stations aren't. Um, so that's one thing that kind of grinds my gears a bit. Um, I never thought about I, that, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Seriously, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, you open up, a, 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 I'm just saying Vogue Living because it's sitting on my coffee table, and you open it up and if you see, you know, there's a product sitting there on that page, the reader hasn't been told that that's an added value mention that mm-hmm. a brand paid for, that the company mm-hmm. profited from. And so that, that really frustrates me because, those rules that apply to the influencer, and I get it, like there are a lot of influencers who I don't trust mm-hmm. and who I, I look at them and go, oh, I, I know you didn't use that. Um, I get that. Um, but it's Especially the ones where you're like, I tried it and we all know it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you took yeah the deal. totally. And for us as well, it's like, oh, I tried that. I turned that job down because that, <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that for me, that's a frustrating thing because I'm in the media space. I see that every day. Um, so it, it does feel like often these, these influencers who, you know, are small business owners and young women are being policed and and large multi-billion dollar corporations aren't. Um, and then I think the two things that have really changed social media, uh, in the last few years is this call for authenticity. So moving away from curated, beautifully shot content and, you know, this idea of like rawness and realness and capturing lo-fi content and the imagery actually not looking professionally shot. Um, there's been a movement towards that, which I've both loved, but then I also, as an editor and having that curated eye, I appreciate the beauty and the production and the work that goes into curating a beautiful image. So I miss that element. Um, and then the other game changer I think is TikTok. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is really changing the nature of the Instagram game. And I see that with, you know, Gritty Pretty's clients increasingly becoming interested in TikTok and playing in that space. Um, and, and again, that probably, you know, the rise of TikTok is because of that call to authenticity That's and right. that rawness and that unfilteredness. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting few years ahead. But, you know, I, I'm of the thinking of that I, I don't want to be a slave to it. And it's mm. hard when you have 
a digital media business um, because in some ways you are, you know, the way that oh, you and you just with- have to, you have to care. It's just inbuilt mm-hmm. in what we do. It's like it's not an option to just be like, nah, I That's won't it. worry. And it's marketing, right? Like, for you know, for someone who, like Sarah, when you, or, or Beck, when you have a physical product, you need to tell your customers about it and you mm. tell them through social media, which is digital yeah. marketing. Where is the customer on exactly. these Exactly. And, you know, corporations like Meta will make you pay large amounts of money to reach those people. So mm. um, it's it's frustrating when you feel you're a slave to it. Yeah, it's a fascinating mm. time. Like so much of what I'm sort of, I guess, motivated by and actively coaching on is the rise of micro communities, just mm-hmm. community chat commerce, you know, Sarah mentioning the um, the power of the blog and really taking, um, I guess, that independence back as creators to have a voice on a platform that we own. So really thinking about where I, not ownership of, but where I own my audience and have some level of control versus where I kind of rent my audience. Mm. And that those platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, whatever, they should always just be a referral to your main gig, you know, not the actual place themselves. I think Instagram is dead in the water and it's just going to be a matter of time. Like really Instagram now, this is interesting kind of idea of it being like an Insta site. It's basically somewhere where people look you up they kind of have a gaze of the grid. They kind of look at the, like those first kind of two or three highlights. They might follow you and get some of your stories or get served your reels. And, um, and that's about it now. It's not really somewhere where people are coming, um, to get that kind of original inspiration that they were. And, you only need to look at Meta. Like I read something in the New York Times this morning. They've laid off eleven thousand people. They're still on a hiring freeze. Mm. They're in big trouble. Like TikTok has definitely. Let's not even been... talk about Twitter. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> TikTok's been the thing that's kind of really shaken them. But I think what we have to acknowledge as creators and creatives, this is just another platform. There'll be another one yeah. after mm-hmm. TikTok. So what's the lesson we're learning here? Mm. Is that we can take some sort of control over mm. where we create, where it lives, and we want to start really building community yeah. um, and being able to have direct contact with that community, like list building on email, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's just that whole period where we just didn't really focus on email. Now you're like, oh, my God, email. Email. Yeah. Email. It's so good. Many database. Yeah. And that's like such a privileged place of you know, for people to receive you, like my inbox. I mean, I know some people's is out of control. Mine's not. Like I only subscribe to a few different newsletters and they have to be right or I unsubscribe. And that's kind of where we're going is that discernment, that refinement of who we let Mm. in. And so we want to make sure we're creating the sort of content I think that people think, oh, yay, their emails here, you know, it's mm. really exciting. Yeah. And then the last little one from me was I read somewhere, you know, TikTok is just the comments in TikTok is my life. <laughs> like if you just go and read them, it's so entertaining. But someone had said um, Instagram is for looks and TikTok is for personality. And so the challenge I think many um, predominantly millennial influencers are facing right now is that there hasn't really been this show of personality before. It has been more on the visual. And so trying to cross that bridge to kind of let people in to say, actually, well, this is what my voice sounds like. These are my views politically, socially, culturally, whatever. Like that's big. 
Yeah. You know, because there was a level of control there of like, I'm going to let you see a bit, but not all. But what TikTok demands of us is to bring our full, true self. Mm. And this is hard. And I haven't obviously cracked it. I'm still not there. I tried and it didn't feel authentic. I felt like I was trying to do my Instagram content on TikTok. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I had the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, it's not for me. And I'm okay with that. I I don't. I don't have to subscribe to TikTok. I don't really consume it. Um, I I think there's always this pressure of, oh, you've got to be on the next platform. Um, And there's something a little bit uh, empowering as well about saying no. Yeah, especially when you've built like a secure and sustainable business because a lot of the time we're on these platforms to build influence and earn money. And if you already have influence and that relevant amount of economic wealth, I think there is absolutely a choice of like, well, that is amazing, but it's just not relevant for me. I don't need to put the energy into it. I think it'd be different for offline. Career talk is big. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could serve there. Yeah. I mean, Gritty Pretty is on TikTok. We are absolutely on TikTok, but I, as as an individual, I tried and it wasn't for me. Um, mm. So there's, there's a place for both. Yeah. I think, you know, like I acknowledge that as a business, it's nice for us to be in that space. And our TikTok page is managed by our incredible beauty editor and she loves it. You know, she consumes TikTok daily. Um, and that's it, how it should be. It should be a joy mm-hmm. for the for the person, the content creator. So I love that yeah. for her. But for me personally, it's, personally, it's not right for me. I think that's where I'm still in two worlds is for what I have to give. I think it might be me and my voice because it's so much of it's my transmission and my expertise I don't know if it's an offline brand thing. I think it might be more of an Alison, the founder of offline thing. But it's really love your voice. Stuff. Yeah, you're so oh, good. Thank you. Plus the thing with TikTok as well is um, I'm a quality over quantity person and um, I struggle. The one thing I do struggle with TikTok, like I, lo- I think it's great, and but it's so hard. And I know with the algorithm, you need to be posting three times a day and all of that kind of stuff. And for me, I'm like, that is out of control. Like how do we, how, like I'm the same as you, like what do I have to offer that um, is quality enough and worth looking at three times, three times a day. And some people I do think it's definitely personality type, but I think I'm the same as Al. Like I do every now and then I know at Fashion Week, we all really tried our best to um, start. We were all like, right. I saw it. Sarah inspired us. Sarah, yeah. We were all, I was on a mission with an organized life. Like I had this whole schedule. We were posting three times a day. I was all for it. And then it is so time consuming. And I think, like you say, you have to be all in, but I also feel like it is an opportunity that when maybe when the time is right and we have, um, you know, got to grips with it a bit more and found our voices, there is still the opportunity, but I'm the same as Al. I feel comfortable and confident that I'm not, you know, I do, you know, I'll do the odd thing and I'm super happy with that, but it's not going to be something I am creating content for every single day right now where I am in, like you say, what season I'm in. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one to kind of watch. And, um, and also, like you say, with the community thing, I wanted to touch on that with EDM databases and like your own space. Um, I know one thing for me with an organized life is I've been really big on growing our community and being one of our core pillars is educational and motivating. And I put so much time and effort into things like workspace tours. And like, we do articles that are like, um, you know, just so different. You wouldn't really think that we're going to kind of 
go on that tangent, but we all talk as a team and what's going on in our life, um, everything like that. And it's not always driven by selling a product. Like it's definitely not. We have those core pillars. And for me, it's been one of the most rewarding things because I didn't know if it was worth that time and effort. Um, but just growing that brand community, um, and things like that, that it there's a way that it can segue back into things like, you know, a lot of people um, with their well-being, it's that they get really into journaling. So we're focusing on an area where they're feeling burnt out and we have this huge article on um, burning out and we get expert advice and things. And then obviously one of our tips is, you know, put pen to paper. So there's still a segue that it relates to an organized life, but it's um, not like here's a notebook you should buy it for this reason um so i found that such an amazing thing from a brand perspective but also just personally i've loved that it's not on something like instagram like you say it's our own space and i know we all have that in our own businesses um but i think it's such a special place because we can use instagram to drive people through to that um but at the end of the day all that content that we've created and worked so hard for is our own and um we have our own community that loves to receive that and can you know benefit from it so i do think that's like an amazing space that sometimes brands and people forget about so it's worth doing Mm, super inspiring I think you guys kill it like and this is what it means to um what does building brand authority and credibility look like that and I think we've been so um conditioned to obsess over those vanity metrics and conversion as a measure of success when actually what you're saying is so true it's just that they'll get there in the end as always there will be a sale um, but it's actually very rewarding that kind of pathway to the sale. I think if you're for a creative, I think when you're putting that work into the into the content and just wanting to um, hand on heart give to the community, like I don't want anything else from you other than hopefully to inspire you to mm-hmm. educate you in this moment. And that's why I started this business. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, so beautiful. All right, we're at nearly an hour forty. <laughs> So I will let you have your mornings back. I have a final question, which you'll remember from our very first recordings. I asked you then when you're sitting in your true self, who are you? And the podcast has obviously evolved over time. And that's been a really beautiful thing for me as a professional as well, to allow the work to move and change and take new shape. So my question now um, that I have for you and Elle, I'd love to kick off with you is when you're sitting in your true self, how do you define success? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, Success feels and looks like sitting with my family, laughing with my family, having no distractions, being truly 100% present in that moment and being my unfiltered version of me, of Banjo's mum. Makes me think so much about who I am with Betty when no one's watching. Yeah. She calls me Mummy Shark. (laughs) Mummy Shark. (laughs) She wakes up in the morning and sings out, Mummy Shock. (laughs) And then says, Daddy Shock. (laughs) Their little voices kill me. Um, Sarah, what about you? 
Yeah, I think we've touched on it, um, and I completely resonate with Elle on this one. Mm. It's so nice just to hear that. Um, it is that balance of being financially independent with the ability to be present in every moment. So, you know, you can be present with your friends in this conversation and you know it's a work day but you don't have to look at it. You've got it covered. Um, or being with your family and not having to be on your phone um, or being at work um, and know that everything else is under control. Um, I Yeah, success is definitely that balance between um, knowing who I am, being able to earn, but then being present with my family or every anything else I would choose to do. Beautiful, Beck. <laughs> I felt like the two girls did so well. <laughs> um, I feel like mine is similar as well. I think for me, success is um, similar to what Al was saying earlier with the different cups and things. I very much look at life like that and my success as well. Um, well-being, like giving myself the space to focus on that and to be able to walk and to be able to do Pilates and to really slow down and to, um, I, I'm proud of myself that I've got to a point where I also value that and my success of my life, um, being a really present mom and partner, um, also the same as what the girls said, no matter who I'm with, if it's friends, if it's family, um, not, you know, the phone is just nowhere near and I just soak up those moments. Um, and usually I keep them very private. Um, and that's my special time. Um, and being at a place where, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. Like the team, the, the girls said with, um, financially as well, not feeling, stress that I need to be working till midnight, um, to pay my way and to live the life I want to live. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I would say definitely if you had asked me, you know, I don't know, six years ago, um, I would have said every answer would have been something to do with work. And I don't think those other cups would have been full at all. Um, but yeah, now it's definitely finding that balance and making sure that I focus on each and every area. Um, and, yeah, I think that's what a successful life looks like to me. Um, yeah, so just happy and healthy. Fill up, yeah, happy and mm. healthy, fill up those cups, um, blocking out the noise and things that aren't right for you in your life um, and just really focusing on the stuff that really fills up your cups and makes you feel really good. Just hearing those three responses, I just feel really compelled to say like to anyone listening, these are three women that you likely follow and are inspired by and look up to. It's really important for us to really hear their responses. They spoke about presence. They spoke about authenticity and they spoke about serving themselves in different areas of their lives. This is really, you know, when we think about, we watch people online and then we sort of kind of start to chase this version of that. But what we're hearing from you is, I think, that ultimate human desire, you know, of present moment awareness and just knowing that whatever you've chosen, there's an acceptance in the choice. There's no resistance between how you are in your life and, oh, so nice. I love you all so much. We love you. Whenever we ever see each other in person, 
I mean, if anyone wants to come to oh, the yeah. Central Coast <laughs> or, New or we'll go to New Zealand. <laughs> or New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, I definitely want to get over to New Zealand um, to actually be with my colleague Lucy. She's in Raglan. Oh, fun. Yeah. Family um, holiday. Have a little holiday. But I know we'll be together soon. I'm thinking about you. you all always. And thank you for spending an hour and a half with me. An hour and 45 minutes with you. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. What a treat. It's yeah. Nice. yeah. Mm. Love you, girls. It's a bit of therapy for us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. If something I said today landed deeply in your body and felt true, I want to encourage you to move into intentional action. Visit getoffline.co and consider signing up to my mailing list. You'll receive conscious career love notes from me, invitations to learn with me, and much more. One last thing. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them. 